This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode 21, with guest Janine Koch. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Sovorova, and it's wonderful to welcome you back to the show. In the past three years, Janine was running the renowned Berlin-based conference, Republica, that enabled discussions around social transformation, culture, politics, and technology. Today, she is the CEO of MediaNet Berlin Brandenburg e.V., the corporate network of the media, creative, and digital industries in the capital region. In today's episode, we speak about how East German origin influenced Janine's approach to life, how networking and events are being reshaped, and what the future has in store for Berlin. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Hello, Janine. Welcome to the show. I'm super excited to have you here today. Thank you so much for the invitation. I'm excited as well. So I'm looking forward to the talk. Me too. You were born and raised in Berlin. And over these years, what continued to keep you in the city? Wow. Uh, Berlin is um, always recreating itself every, every day again, again, again and again. So I have the feeling that it's changing all the time. And I think this is something that is uh, thrilling me so that there is no stoppings at all. So you can always look forward to explore the city by yourself as a as a tourist, more or less. Sometimes you, you walk around the corner and you feel like, oh, wow, that hasn't been there like a, a month ago. So what's happening here in this area? So I think this is one thing which is what I really like about the city. But of course, um, this could also be a drawback of the city because, you know, when you feel it's also a very lonely city as well. So the people need to stick to each other so that they don't get lost. And I think the changing all the time is um, people are inclined to get lost in the city as well. But I love the vibe about the city. I know you were part of the project Visited Austin or We Are the East. Could you explain what the project was about? I think it was launched last year and why you decided to take part in it. Yeah, it was launched in October 2019, so it's already oh. one and a half, half years, years ago. Yeah. yeah, It was initiated by a German journalist. Uh, she's called uh, Melanie Stein. And uh, she was dealing uh, with, a, yeah, with a problem, more or less, that the people from East Germany are not as um, positively seen and um, um, sophisticated seen and um, successfully seen as the West German people. So she wanted to bring out the, um, the, the East German role models to, to show that it's not only about the, yeah, she called it the Yama Aussies, so the people who are complaining all the time about the changes, about that they suffer and that they didn't get enough from the cake. So um, she wanted to show the people who are really successful or who are dreaming of their, or living their dreams. And that's why she initiated it. And uh, at that time, I was uh, still the director of uh, Republica. And um, she heard from a different corner <laughs> that I'm from East Germany. Until then, I didn't really talk about that uh, topic that much. So I was, uh, and she asked me if I want to go on a panel for the launching event. And I was like, ah, I'm not sure. So, hmm, okay, let's think about it. It took me quite like a month or something that I figured out I actually want to you know, t talk about it now because it's uh, an important thing of my life. And I think it was one of the best ideas and the best decisions I've ever done. But that's interesting how the project also influenced you to speak about it openly. So yeah. I would assume a lot of people were a bit reluctant 
to start this conversation on their origin? I reckon as well, but uh, from the point of view that I have now, I don't really understand why, because, you know, the, the, your heritage is all that you got. Like the question where you're coming from is so important to you and who you are and what decisions you make and the, the people who are surrounding you. So I don't really understand anymore why you would um, cover this origin. So that's why I think... Um, I think I just simply follow my own signs of, of my own body signs. I, I needed to get out of myself yeah. so that I can be even more authentic. So mm -hmm. and I think it helped. So how do you then identify yourself today? And what does it mean for you to be East German? I actually identify as a person in between, <laughs> <laughs> non-binary <laughs> in that case. Because I reckon uh, there's like two parts of, of both stories in, in, in me. Because my parents left East Germany when I was eight years old. So we went um, to uh, West Germany when I was that age. And uh, I, I still got the origins uh, from the East German parentinghood and all that. But I was socialized in the Western civilization. So the, everything that came to me like was a total different capitalistic point of view, like very different from the, from the state of mind that I was, you know, experiencing at home all the time. So I, I, I think I have two parts in myself. It is indeed, like for many non-Germans, it's sometimes difficult to grasp the difference between Eastern and Western Germans. And how did your particularly, I mean, it was just eight years of your life in East Germany, but maybe also your parents influenced your approach to life? Yeah, definitely. I think it's um, especially my parents and, um, um, and my family that, you know, surrounded me, that uh, influenced me a lot. And since I left home when I was 18, so I had 18 years of uh, family influencing me all the time. So um, it was not my own experiences but uh, not only my own experiences but still of course I still can I still remember a couple of things when I was six years old because you know I don't know like simple things do you, do you know when you have like Pfandflaschen what's the name for Pfandflaschen? Oh, yeah the um, you get the money the tokens yeah, yeah. for the bottles yeah and exactly such, yeah. and in, in East Germany we had like um, um, a place where we put all this uh, it's like it was like um, a center for it And um, it was really different from the thing that you have here in, in West Germany. So I still remember stuff that I, you know, collected all that because it was like pocket money for me when I was six or seven. And it was now, now it's cool. And now, now it's cool. And, well, and, and, and that time it was really fun. I loved it. And, and friends of me and we all went out and picked up from the, the bottles and all that stuff. But it changed a lot when I came to West Germany. So it's a totally different point of view. So you wouldn't do that at all. Like the people who were watching you. So I still have my own memories on, on that time. But of course, the most influential thing was my parents, of course. Do you think this topic is still relevant today? I mean, the fall of the wall was 31 years ago, almost mm -hmm. 32 this year. Today, it's a united country. So why is this topic is coming back again and again? I reckon because it was not really reunification. 31 years ago, it was more like um, there was you know, it had to be taken over. So we need to find a very simple and quick solution for this East German part of Germany. We need to do something about it. So why not integrate it into the West German part? And nobody asked for the heritage, for the cultural differences, for the social differences, for the moral, for the what everything, everything that people un unites. Nobody asked for it, but they just took it and 
put it into the West German part. And I think this is the reason why it's still not really united at the moment. I mean, it's very simple. I sometimes say that on stage or also in interviews, the words of Neue Bundesländer is, uh, I mean, it's 31 years ago, we still say Neue Bundesländer instead of saying Germany, like, uh, you know, instead of saying Sachsen and uh, Dresden and whatever, we say Neue Bundesländer. And this is kind of awkward because it's not new anymore. It's, I mean, the, the, the wall is, um, has been fallen 31 years ago. It's even longer than the wall has been, you know, up there. And this is really strange. It's, I mean, and this shows something. And I always say the language forms your re reality. And if you use that kind of language, you're still in that mindset. Exactly. I mean, the, the reference is still there. So that doesn't signals for change when you always reference the past. Mm -hmm. I heard a number of your interviews where <laughs> you really truly communicated the strong passion you also hold for City Berlin. What are your personal goals with developing the city and culture here and maybe integrating that both mentalities, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think, especially in the industries that I'm working with, like the creative industries, the media and digital industries, I think we all would benefit from collaborating more with each other. I think Berlin is um, a very, very focused, uh, so very focused people with very determined, um, you know, actions. And I reckon what I would love for the city, that the people are not going around and, you know, kick them away, but integrate everyone with each other. So I think the pandemic showed us that it's really necessary to show solidarity, solidarity with each other and to work, to, to collaborate with each other. And this is actually the, the dream that I have not only for Berlin, but also like in my own nucleus to work with people who are fascinated and interested in collaborating with each other rather than to see the differences, to see the common things that you could share. So this is actually something that I like with the city and also would love that the city concentrates a little bit more of its really truly benefits that, that we have. We have we're such a beautiful city with lots of green and lots of water and we have an interesting club scene and a, a vivid nightlife and all that stuff. And it is always used as to get people from it abroad to get tourists into the city. But um, on the other hand, it's not easy for the nightlife people to live in the city because they don't get paid well They don't get um, the, the, the rights to do their clubs and all that stuff. And also the pandemic showed us it's very difficult to keep up all these businesses in, in the city during a pandemic, of course. And I think um, that would be also very nice if it wouldn't be like, okay, we love it because it, the tourists love it. But on the other hand, we cannot support it. And this is a um, really weird situation. How, how this can be changed? I mean, of course, you, the politics can do a lot about it. So if you, if you as a, as a party uh, decide this is a major topic for me, it will become a major topic for, for, for the city as soon as you are in charge. So, uh, and of course, you could, you know, um, get some uh, voters as well with that. And uh, lots of people are interested in that as well. And, and on the other hand, I would also love that the city keeps a little bit of its own a history and of its own spirit from the past because we come from the past. We shouldn't forget all about it. We should embrace it. And there, we need some bits and pieces to uh, still remind on that uh, where we're coming from. And at the moment when I see everything that happens at the East Side Gallery thing, 
it's simply, I mean, there are investors everywhere. They put some houses up there. It's incredibly ugly in my decision. And, and nobody's living there. There's like a central business district, which is dead most of the time. So I think this is not the right way to develop um, a cultural and vivid and historical city like Berlin. It's, it has so much more to offer than those buildings. So you're saying that we should reference the past, we should not forget it. For the city of Berlin, this is what will help it to develop in the right direction. But isn't it also the case if you focus too much on the past, you're actually not really fostering any development and innovation. You're a little bit always stuck in this. <laughs> um, I, I absolutely agree. Also, you say if people are always living in the past, they're kind of a, in a depression. So I would never go that far to say you, you need to stick to the past forever. Not at all. I love changing. I love formation. I love evolvement and innovation. This is so important. But I think we need to find some, some of it. You, you don't need to have a reference every, every corner. But you can see it like uh, we have the Stolpersteine every now and then. It's important to, to keep that on, in mind that the, the, the city has um, overcome a lot, lot of different faces. And, uh, and that's why it has a lot of different faces as well. Yeah? So uh, I reckon we should keep that in mind and um, not put, every, so put so much stuff up, which um, just you cover the whole history. But um, on, on the other hand, I'm, I'm so much into innovation. So don't get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's great. And I know that. I mean, we're going to get into that more. Um, but it's also interesting, you know, with Berlin, like it sometimes feels there's so many groups here and they don't necessarily intersect. They don't necessarily mingle. They feel a bit excluded. Do you think this should stay like it is or we should rather foster for these groups to mingle and get to know each other? Definitely. Uh, so how the can, last, how the can last you do one? that? Yeah. Like, it is so difficult. It is so difficult because a lot of people, they're probably not interested in intermingling. This is one reason. Because they love to stick with each other, because they are maybe afraid of, you know, the different cultures and different point of views and that they would have um, like a little bit of contrary opinions or something like that. But I think it is so necessary that the people get off their bubbles to, you know, this is the way to, to get really in contact with people, to really have innovations coming up because otherwise it wouldn't work more or less it's communities, what you're talking about, could that just take them and put them in whatever country, but they will never grasp the vibe of the, of the city and of the people who are living there. So we're never able to um, learn from each other and to, to see the best from both sides and both cultures that could be also very inspirational. So I, I think we really need to find a way to get them in touch. It's so difficult to do that. Actually, I'm thinking about that myself for the media net at the moment to get people off their zilos and to get them, you know, get together and to see, okay, this topic is also relevant to me because I, you know, I've never been thinking about it, but it's really interesting to me. And you need to find platforms for that. So you need to define certain rooms, certain times, certain areas where you can put those people together. And of course, it's a little bit like a quote, you, you need to find a way that they have to do it. Otherwise, it wouldn't work. The, the city cannot live by solitary communities who are not talking to each other because they make up all their own rules and their own habits. But it's, you know, there is like 
it's not they are not talking with and each other. I mean, this is such an exciting challenge, and I think this is also kind of showcases that Berlin is the perfect ground because it's very international. I think it will be a lot harder to go somewhere into very culturally rooted city mm -hmm. and country, and then integrating that dynamics is quite difficult. But here. Here you go. I mean, you have people incoming, leaving, you have tourists, you have international people. So I really hope this challenge is feasible. And I'm sure it is for you, <laughs> Janine. Oh, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> and actually, I would like to shortly speak about uh, Republica, uh -huh. or maybe, maybe not shortly, let's see. And as a former director of Republica, which is a well-known conference in Europe that fosters conversations around modern media, culture, politics, technology and entertainment, I would be curious to hear from you, um, what was the secret behind making Republica one of the major happenings in Europe? Because it really was. <laughs> it, it, yeah, and hopefully it still is and will be in future times, of course. I started there three years ago uh, in 2018, and it was very well known when I started there. So the people who made it uh, happening <laughs> in the beginning in 2007 who the, the, the four founders were very determined in, you know, getting their messages through in a way that the people, that they're very close to their, um, to the people who are, who are part of the community. So more or less the people were friends of them and people who are like-minded as well. And, uh, what, what happened was that they were able to build up a community of like-minded people, like from the mindsetting, but not from the topics. So they had, um, a platform to discuss all that and to get in uh, critical decisions and uh, decision makings and discussions. I think the fantastic success is because over the years, over the almost 15 years, it was always the community where was the focus on. So you would always go and say, okay, uh, we have to talk with our communities because the, these are the people who are fans of, of, of the, the work that we're doing. And that was... Um, The reason why we always had uh, the call for participation. So when we are setting up an event like Republika in Berlin, you would go with a call for participation to ask the community, bring some ideas up, which they want to represent on stage. And so you make the community, you make them visible and you make them a part of the event and not only viewers or, or they are really participants. And I think this is the the major difference from other events. So conferences usually is um, you create a nice panel and you probably have the uh, most important people which are really talking about really interesting stuff. And then you go there, you listen and watch and you have a drink and then thank you and mm -hmm. goodbye. But Republica made them uh, being one, the part of the panel, being being part of the whole show, being part of the whole discussions and doing agenda setting and, you know, leading the discussions of the future. And I reckon this is uh, one of the most um, successful stories about it. So, And this is, of course, uh, a work of almost 15 years. So it doesn't happen from uh, during a night shift or something. And how would you select the people from this community and make sure that they really can speak about this topic? Was there some kind of process for that? It was a very difficult and oh. a very lo <laughs> longish process. Um, The, the whole thing lasts for about two months. So there is a call for participation and you will set uh, the topics and you, we would ask, okay, you can bring up some ideas for speeches, for talks, for interviews, for whatever kind of format, for whatever kind of platform, medium you can choose. And then you would have a, like quite a big programming team, which is taking care of all the, all, all the um, entries. 
And then there's also a curator team um, above all. So you would have like a, so lots of things that are It's a lot happening. of people involved. It's a lot of people involved in the program, yeah. And how did you come up with the main topics? Like I remember the one which was too long to read. Yeah. Then there was the pop The one. pop in 2018, yeah. Exactly. How was that topics? Because they were so uh, prevalent and you would really, this would really catch the attention for yeah. people to attend because also they were very, the topics were picked at the right time, right? Yeah, uh, it's um, always a little bit before everyone else is talking about it. And that was more or less also sometimes the reason why we were talking about what topic for next year, what topic. But uh, pop um, and TLDR, too long, didn't read. Sometimes it's more or less uh, like by chance. It happened by chance because people were talking to each other, the founders were talking to each other, and then there was um, the graphic designer coming up with an idea and then the programming team. And so it's um, we also made um, a programming workshop in August 2019 to come up with a, a topic, and we had a lot of really great ideas. It was so amazing. And in the end, It was um, one of our designers who came up. Uh, he he was he didn't take part in the programming workshop. He couldn't he couldn't make it because he didn't have time. But th then he said, "Oh, I'm so sorry that I couldn't be on the sh workshop, but I have an idea." And then he came up with um, ASAP as soon as possible, which right. was um, also the topic for the um, first digital conference that we did last year. And yeah, sometimes it's always, we, of course, the people who are working with and for Republica are alert all the time. I mean, we're, we're dealing with this, these topics of um, society, which are relevant in, in different point of views. So uh, the people are always thinking about stuff like that. So today, Janine, you are CEO of Medianet Berlin Brandenburg e.V., which is a corporate network of media, creative and digital industries in the capital region. It seems like it's quite similar a little bit to what you did previously. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. But why did you decide to join Medianet right now? And what are some of the main challenges you're tackling? From the topics, it's not that different, actually, because we're also dealing with uh, like the latest, you know, the latest uh, developments of um, issues and topics in, in the media and creative and digital industries. Because it's a network where people uh, pay to be a part of it. Uh, they also expect a couple of stuff that you could do for them. And um, it's different from Republica because in Republica, it's always we have the community and they get the tickets for the for the event. And then is this the magic happening? And the, um, the network is more focused on bringing the people together through events, which are mainly focused on the networking thing. So The, the the main thing that we are looking for is to get the people in touch with each other, get them off their bubbles, get into into deep di discussions and to make way for innovation. Mm -hmm. more and or when, less. when you speak about people, do they have to be part of a business or nonprofit or is it open to audience? You can be um, a member of it um, by by yourself as as a person. Most of the people are working in any kind of area, so it's always a support to to be a part of um, uh, the media net. And a lot of people are, do belong to 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 companies who are, which are working in the in industries, so the industries that we were talking about. So it's very different different um, um, togetherness. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, losing words in the heat. <laughs> exactly. I told you, it's, it's quite warm here. <laughs> it's warm in here. 
So yeah, that's why um, it's very very different people from all over the place. So <laughs> maybe you can elaborate more. So it's necessary. Is it events or is it networking? And what is the goal of it? Um, so they come together, they interact, and what is the you would say this was a success. Yeah. How does it look like? It's an interesting question that you raise raise up because we are actually talking about this all the time right now. I, I started in the midst of January this year, and like five months ago. And when I came there, it was high season for pandemic. And we couldn't do any kind of events. And you have to know that the MediaNet usually does um, like 100 events a year. Oh, wow. So this is the main thing that, that MediaNet is doing at the, at the moment to get people connected, to get pe people get to know each other. And all of a sudden, uh, there was no event possible anymore. So that's why we, of course, were thinking about, okay, what kind of digital events would help them to be like a part of the network, still be a part of the network? How do we have to interact with them? What do they need from us? How much do we need to talk to our, our members so that they don't lose track of us? So that's why we found a lot of different formats, um, like speed datings, where we can people connect with each other, but also a lot of um, formats that uh, were dealing with um, problems and solutions of the pandemic things. So in, in business regards, of course, so when they have uh, HR issues or how do I get the money from one of the banks? What do I do when I do need more team members in my, in my, new, in my new company? So we try to figure out what they actually need at the moment. And now, like the pandemic is not over, unfortunately, yet, but um, we have like a little bit of a break probably because of the summer. We are um, dealing again with the topic, okay, what, uh, who, who we are, what are we doing? And uh, that's what we are um, answering all the time for the last four months again, also because we are doing a very big transformation uh, workshop at the moment. So we took a look at everything that is MediaNet doing for the last 20 years. And we tried to figure out, okay, this is something that we need to keep. This is something that we need to, you know, bring up a little bit differently. This is something that we can get rid of because we don't need it anymore. It's not necessary for the future anymore. And this is a very hard and also really exhausting process um, because, you know, I, I love the race, kill your darlings. And sometimes this is a, the hardest thing to do, you know, like, oh, but it was, it was working so well and everyone liked it. And then you have to ask, okay, but is it still relevant? Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we're doing at the moment. Besides pandemic, I mean, what were the other challenges? And maybe you can say how many members there are. Yeah, we have 500 members at oh, the wow. moment. So oh, it's wow. quite big. Uh, for me personally, was the biggest challenge actually to get to know all these people because this is a network, it has been grown the last 20 years. And to enter a network like that, the people um, identify themselves with a network, which is amazing. You need these people that who are, who are in, identified so strongly with the uh, with association that they're members of. Um, that was very difficult for me to find a way how could I interact with those people because everyone wanted to talk to me straight away, which was amazing. I loved it. But it was simply not possible in the beginning because 500 members, how would you be able to talk to them like uh, linear, like mm -hmm. one after the other? Yeah. Because usually you would go and have an event, have an event, and then you would see like 50 or 100 of them. It was really tricky in the beginning. But now I think the, now it's more, more the question how we want to go 
further into the future. So I think this is actually the most important thing that we are dealing now with and um, also really, really interesting process at the moment. Maybe you can just shed some light on how does MediaNet play in the Berlin ecosystem? What impact does it make to influence and grow and develop Berlin? Because mm -hmm. I think this is probably also one of the reasons for this network. Exactly, yeah. It was actually built 20 years ago by uh, Bernd Schiphorst because there was no network in this area in Berlin, mm -hmm. Brandenburg, so in the Hauptstadtregion in the capital region, um, for the media scene. So the, the strong focus was on the media scene in the beginning. And then it was, you know, there, there, there came up the creative, creative um, um, industries and also the digital industries. We have a really big impact on what's happening in the city because the um, people who are our members, we always try to find, to be their voice. And uh, when they came up to us and, and say, this is not working well for me, for my industry, for my, for my, for my company, and not only for my company, but for a couple of companies with, that I'm dealing with, we try to listen to them and to find a way to be a voice for the for the politics. So I'm talking lots of the time with the politics in Berlin and tell them how the industries are feeling actually right now. So I also have um, an invitation on Friday to Franziska Giffey. She is um, inv inviting people from the from the from the industries and try to find out what's happening, what's going on, how do you feel? And this is the part of the job which is necessary to make it relevant, so mm -hmm. that the the people who are in charge listen to you and, um, and, and, and try to find a solution for the problems that are coming up. How is the media ecosystem right now, today? I think the media ecosystem is really fragmented at the, at the moment. So I think the, the, also just the word media and the, what it actually means is not as simple as it was like 20 years ago, because usually we thought, okay, media is radio, TV and film and a little bit of print magazines. But nowadays, media is almost everything. Yeah, and then it also says media, creative and digital, which kind of makes it everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You name it. And that is so difficult. That's the, one of the parts that we're doing with our strategic uh, transformation workshop right now to figure out what of these creative and digital industries are relevant to MediaNet because of the focus on media. And all of a sudden you feel like, okay, TikTok is as relevant as automotive because this is media and entertainment as well. So you feel like, okay, there's no boundaries anymore. So there's no limit. You can actually take everything into your account. But can I really do it? And is it really necessary? So that's why you need to figure out, okay, what's the focus again? Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's what we're doing at the moment. And the media industry is, yeah, what I said, pr pretty fragmented at the moment. And I think there's a part of the media industry which is working, doing really well. So like everything from e-commerce and um, all the people who are, you know, started with online formats really early, they are, they are fine, they're all doing good. But the people who did not jump on this train that early, so they still have difficulties how to ex transform their print magazines into like an, an offer for the people. Uh, who are in, who are only online at the moment? So and they yeah they. But are. this is also opportunity, right? This is exactly. what you said that you can mix and match. This yeah. could be a print magazine which just appears at an in-person event that has TikTok as a partner brand. You know, like yeah, yeah. This is the opportunity of mixing exactly. the physical and and digital worlds together. Yeah. And exactly. a lot of, especially I think Generation Z are back at this. There's the trend for old-fashioned books. <laughs> <laughs> Things like books, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and recorders, for instance. Yeah. 
That's very interesting, and also to mix those realities with each other. So I'm, I'm, we're having a, a panel coming up in a couple of weeks, who, which is dealing with a, with the question analog advertisement in mm -hmm. a digital world. That actually means the question: How could I transform all these AR, VR media technologies, which are coming up even more and more and more? How can I actually put them also on analog products? So. I think um, IKEA made a very good example of it. They had this AR um, catalog where you could see everything was moving and uh, it was really interesting to see that. Mm -hmm. And this was a really good idea and a lot of different other people were doing it as well. It's very expensive and it's still like a little piece of, you know, you cannot find it very often in, in, in the media scene. And that's um, that's interesting because it's actually everything is there, but they are not getting married for for whatever reason. I don't know. They don't they don't dare to touch both worlds, which should be the case. Yeah. And what would make you, Janine, happy? So you joined this year in January. So looking, let's say January 2022, what would make you happy when it comes to MediaNet? How far it needs to get that you would say, okay, we're doing really great. This is successful. Add some fuel and continue. <laughs> How will that look like? That you? would look like that I would have developed a new format, which I already did in the on my <laughs> on my scribblings, uh, to combine all that uh, things that we were talking about. To have like an interdisciplinary look on the on the topics, on the people, to be diverse and inclusive, and um, of course uh, sustainable. That is one really big goal for next year, and also want to implement some more participation uh, formats for my members. So I want them. Not to lean back and, you know, to get entertained. I want them to lean in and to, to be a part of it, to be a part of the community, being being more identified with what we are doing because basically they are doing it. And this is a big goal for next year. And also I want to, of course, grow the network, <laughs> like more members with more point of views, with more crazy ideas. So, so how can people read more about the network and also apply for membership? Basically on the internet, of course, um, on the website www.medianet-bb.de. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a long one. It's a long one, yeah, it's true. Okay, or just, but, but, or just find Janine Koch uh, yeah, or somewhere you, online yeah. and, and check, check her out where she's exactly, working. <laughs> exactly, that's probably yep. easier. Faster. But, um, <laughs> it's faster as well, yeah, you're right. But um, yeah, and then you would see everything. And of course, they can, you know, ping me on LinkedIn or whatever if they're interested in it. And I can tell them more about it, of course. I would love to. That's exciting. So before I would like to ask one of my favorite questions on the podcast, I would like to revert back a little bit to Berlin. And I think we talked a lot about digitalization, this multidisciplinary groups and communities coming together. And now also like your upbringing, your background, how do you see really Berlin in the future? You know, speaking to one to five years from now, speaking of MediaNet, but also other industries and startups integrating, developing it, people developing it. What will it look like for you? Not that fragmented anymore, not those silos anymore and more the community feeling that we were talking about all the time in this interview here. And I also would love to be to see that um, Berlin is able to set up itself as an um, even more vivid city of startups and giving more opportunities to startups and to the whole scene. And also, of course, Berlin could be really big in those digital industries. And I think what Berlin needs to decide is 
are we focused on that kind of area or do we want to have industries like it's in NRW happening? So I think there's still like the industry, they're not decided yet. So what what is actually my USP in the city? Because I, I, I'm, I'm sitting a lot of, in, in a lot of um, different uh, places where we are talking about this question. So, okay, what kind of economy would we want to have in the city? And of course, there's a part saying, okay, we need more industries like a car in automotive industries. And then we feel like, okay, but we don't have space for that. So the city is packed. We don't even have enough space for a living. So how could we have like a, another car factory here? So it's not working. So we have to focus on a different kind of industry. And I reckon this is the biggest wish that I would have for the city is make up your mind and find, find your USP. So with my last question, Janine, I know that you stand up for diversity, gender equality and female power in today's working world and society. So I really wanted to ask you this question. Who would you nominate as a woman author of achievement? Okay, this is a bit cheesy, but it's, it's a true story, but it's still cheesy. When I was younger, I was a really big, big fan of Madonna because I thought she was um, incredibly herself, authentic, and um, she was having songs like Express Yourself. And I felt instantly, I felt like, yeah, this is, this is <laughs> something I like because I wasn't like that at all, but I felt the power she had and the vibe that um, she was spreading. She gave me a little bit of this, uh, this feeling of, oh, you can... Ain't no mountain high enough, <laughs> yeah. that feeling, yeah? yeah. And um, I think she was, a, she influenced me a lot in, in the way she was acting and the way she was, you know, like giving power to, to people, not only to women, to people. She was always really powerful to everyone. And um, to, to, to have a little bit less cheesy, but a real, very close example um, I want to add as well is uh, when I was 14, I had the chance to meet a wonderful girl group um, from Germany, from, from Berlin. The girl group was called Lemon Babies. And uh, they were like four to six years older than me. So they were in the 18, 20, 21, 22. And sh they were playing a lot of concerts in the city. And I was a big fan together with my cousin. And we went to almost every concert. We were standing in front, in front row. And we were like, yeah, Lemon Babies. <laughs> And after a while, they saw us a couple of times over and over again. And they said, okay, we've seen you girls on, at every concert. Come on backstage. We want to know you. And to cut a long story short, they were so embracing. They were so successful in the way they were dealing with us and to in, in involve us because we were like five, six years younger than them. But still, they were interested in who we are and what we're doing. And um, uh, these girls, 26 years later, are still my best friends. So Really? It's incredible. You're, you're still in contact? Yeah, we're, we're very close in contact. Wow. I, I, I see them almost, you know, every second weekend. And I'm the godmother of the, incredible. Of the, of the kids. And so I'm really like, this is, this is really a role model of a situation because I feel like when I was 21, I couldn't care less about 14 years old girls. Yeah, it's like, you know, like I was feeling so, what would I, would I be bringing those girls that young age into my life? And they were so incredibly sweet and interested. So props to the Lemon Babies. <laughs> wow. I mean, this is something to, to end, I think, this episode on is Lemon Babies. I mean, check it out. If yeah. you haven't heard it yet, yeah. I will definitely Google it after this episode. <laughs> have to listen to that. And I mean, it's a story of friendship, a very unique, strong friendship. And 
That's just beautiful. <laughs> I think such a great highlight. Janine, thank you so much for coming to the studio on this very warm day. <laughs> <laughs> and I just wish you a fantastic summer. Yeah, thank you. I wish you a summer as well. A fantastic one, of course. <laughs> Thanks for the invitation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.